This is Canada Reads American Style, featuring two friends who love Canada Reads and Canadian literature. Welcome our host Rebecca from Michigan and Tara from Ontario. Hi everyone, it's Rebecca and Tara and our favorite and most frequent guest, Ali Hassan, who is, as everyone knows, the host of the CBC's Canada Reads Debates. We also invite you to listen to our interview with Ali from October 7th, 2022, about his memoir, Is There Bacon in Heaven? Welcome again, Ali. Thank you so much. Great to be here always. Yay. Ali, let's yes. start with a question from one of our, another podcast friend, and that would be Jolene, Bookworm Adventure Girl. Uh, she would like to know about the theme. She would like to know how the themes are chosen and feels that it would make more sense. And I tend to, I think Rebecca and I both tend to agree with her, that it would make more sense to know the theme before the defenders choose the book, their books. Because Keegan let it slip that last week that she had actually chose her book before she knew the theme. And I didn't, we didn't realize that. Yeah, I'm not, I'll be frank, I don't know if that's the way it is every year. Maybe there was some delay in, in choosing the theme. I don't actually know that, but I would tend to agree with Jolene that um, if that is the theme, you should, you should know it uh, as you're reading, right? You should say, mm -hmm. can I defend this book? given what the theme is. So yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement with that. I don't know if that was a, an aberration of some kind this year or if that always happens, but uh, we'll, we'll make sure the message gets to the right people. Oh, thank you. Yeah, because Jolene said she chatted with uh, Mark Tewksbury's partner, Rob, and Rob had said the same thing. Isn't that what? Yeah, that Rob had said, had also confirmed that Mark did not know the theme before he chose his book oh, last okay. year. Yeah. Okay, I think maybe they, that's a very interesting thing. They're probably working very hard to nail down the panelists, which is probably the toughest thing mm -hmm. to get, you know, schedules to align very busy people. Will you be able to be free for six days in March? And then once that is in place, they start piecing other things. But I, you, yeah, this does feel a little bit like cart before the horse because mm. you could find somebody, maybe Keegan was saying exactly this. You could find somebody who's like, I have the greatest book. This is the book all of Canada should read. And then they hear the theme and they're like, oh, now I got to go digging for how to sort of shoehorn that perspective in here. And yeah, that's not ideal. Well, this is interesting because my question is also about themes because one of our listeners also asked about it. Canada Reads introduced themes in 2012 mm. and many fans have been really open uh, on social media saying they want them to go away. And mm. I wondered, and just have it be the book all of Canada should read. So yeah. do you ever see possibly they might drop it again in the future? I think that's a possibility. I think um, CBC Books, who runs Canada Reads, is very open to the feedback, particularly when it's um, uh, when it's a, a good bunch of people. You know, every every everybody will have one or you know some some opinion about this or that. You know, I've got people saying like, uh, you shouldn't have celebrities; you should have librarians doing Canada Reads. Other people <laughs> are like, uh, you should have a Canada Reads every few uh, months. And it should be um, a cookbooks. And, you know, like everybody's got oh, wow. sort of their ideal without knowing sort of the mechanics of how difficult it is to assemble this show. 
Um, but I think they are very receptive to feedback. And I think that's probably landing at this point. We've heard it enough times. The irony is I'll say that this year, um, I, I liked the theme on a personal level because that's how I read. I read because I want my perspective shifted. I read because I want to learn something new and read about something I don't know about. Those are the books I love the most. So I was like, for me, it's almost a redundant theme because that's always what I want out of a book. But yeah, in general, it, it, it can, um, it, it might be at a point where it causes more problems than it, uh, than it helps. Yeah, because at one point, Keegan said something about she was going to go along with the mandate. And I think we all we all sort of looked at each other and said, what do you mean by mandate? So that was a little confusing. Sure. And I have sat at the table uh, when somebody has said, well, um, yes, the theme is that, but we are also here to choose the one book Canada should read. And so there sometimes people are juggling those two things. Mm-hmm. I, I've heard that before too. So yeah. yeah, I think the goal of CBC Books is to have this be a smooth exciting competition. And if anything's getting in the way of that, they certainly look um, look very carefully about it. And, and um, I can't really speak to why they hang on to the theme, why it's still a thing that that is viewed as important. But I will say that it's probably resonating in the, uh, in the office that maybe the theme um, doesn't do what it was originally intended to do, whatever that might have been. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Ali, did you have a favorite argument or point that was made by a defender last week? Um, I had a few things I really enjoyed. I, I don't think it's one favorite that sticks out. I loved, you know, day three is an interesting thing. When when day three starts, the three books that are left, you know, you it's like this this it's a bit of a strategy game about I don't want to as a panelist, I don't want to get out all my arguments on day one. I'll have nothing left on day two or day three, right? So you space them out. Um, and often I'm sure what happens is some of them are never heard again because somebody goes out on day one or day two and um, they were hoping this to have this be their final day argument, but they, you know, they just go to the graveyard and they're never heard. But on day three, you have three books, three champions who are left and they're like, I got to get all of it out. So I what I heard that day, Michael Gray eyes talking about how indigenous communities can relate to a dystopian novel because for them they are living in a dystopian world. Uh, I thought that was very powerful. I had not heard that before from anyone other than Michael Gray eyes, and I, I I thought that was very interesting perspective, uh, perspective shifting, uh, if you will, if you'll allow me to go back to the theme. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And then uh, Gurdip talking about, you know, Gurdip, incredibly joyful person. His brand is optimism and positivity. And it, it meant, you know, it's kind of like a comedian who doesn't swear. And then the one time they swear, it's so powerful. I thought it was so powerful for him to have this sort of vulnerable moment, a, a moment discussing, you know, the struggles he had as an immigrant. And he's not yeah. one to dwell on it for too long, but... Uh, he talked about many doors being shut in his face when he came here. And you just, you can imagine a guy who looks uh, different, sounds different. And um, you feel for a guy who also has this 
who just wants to be a positive person and, and people don't give them, you know, give them a chance. It was like a, a beautiful thing kind of on behalf of so many immigrants he was speaking without even necessarily trying to. And then, um, of course, Matea had such wonderful arguments. I, 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 I think I know this, but I've never heard it articulated this way, this idea of like Atlantic Canadians, this feeling that you can have money or you can have home, but you can't have both. You know, you have to make that choice to, to, to have some modicum of uh, financial success. It feels like most Atlantic Canadians feels like they have to leave Atlantic Canada. And um, that opened up another whole avenue of thinking about the predictions there, but I mean, not the predictions, the, uh, the uh, predicaments there in Atlantic Canada and, yeah, I really enjoyed that. And that was sort of one after another. That was all around the same time. And it was a, it was a strong day of, uh, of arguments coming out. Yeah, those were really beautiful examples because I just remember feeling really emotional hearing those three things specifically that you just talked mm. about yeah. because it, did, it, it was just kind of like a gut punch. And I agree that day three is pretty amazing. I want to just mention really quickly that Tara and I did a podcast last week that we talked about the changes we would like to recommend knowing that, you know, not that anybody's going to change anything, but we were just saying some things that uh, we would like to, to suggest. And one of them is not having anyone voted off the first day because, you know, Tasneem did such a great job uh, later in the program. And it's again, when the person goes off first, you just hear from them less about their book and I would have loved to have heard her more be able to defend her book. And I feel like it's such, it's so sad they send somebody off the first day. So maybe like have the first day be nobody gets voted off and then, you know, then later. So, you know, if that's a suggestion of yours and, and you put it online, others might agree and you might see a sort of a, a swell of public opinion about it. I would say definitely put that out there in, 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 in the way you've just said it to me and, I know at the table, I I feel terrible that first day that somebody's going yeah. off. And mm-hmm. um, Tasneem is a very very bright woman, and um, I think she needed a day to settle. That's not her element. Her element is her and her camera and some editing and her passion about books. And this was a new environment for her. And 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 you're right. By day two and day three, you were like, oh this person has a lot to say and it's pretty exciting to listen to. And, and yeah, Um, no, I think it's a valid point. And if it's a, if it's voiced, you might hear some, some, some echoes out there. So. Yeah. Because even last year, Suzanne Samard, she really blew me away. There are things she said later in the week that I just thought, wow, I really would have loved to have heard her. Suzanne Samard was so dialed in a, Every second, there was no moment where I looked at her and she was like thinking about something else. This is one of the most focused women I've ever met. Wow. She's like nodding. Her pen is, uh, you know, to the paper in case there's anything she wants to write down. And I mean, I can't, she, she must have been drained every day by doing such active listening. But yes, you're, you're, you're right. She's, she had a lot to offer. Wow. Oh, that's awesome. I do think... I first I said one, but now I'm going to say more than one. But I do think there were defenders who were being very strategic this year. That's just my perception. And I wondered, since you're sitting so close to them, can you feel a vibe if you think a defender is just being strategic? 
I don't know. I mean, sometimes, you know, it's an, you just mentioned Mark Tewksbury and, and, and Canada Reads has a history of having athletes on the show. And so sometimes you assume that they will be strategic, right? So you, mm-hmm. you do whatever it takes to win as an athlete. You're used to winning. You're used to competing. Strategy plays a role. Um, I remember the first time I learned about some NFL players on the, uh, you know, on the O line and the D line who don't brush their teeth because oh. they want that extra <laughs> advantage. I was like, what? Kidding me? What? It's you don't need to win that much, and then you realize, no, no. Some people, it's all about winning. So, um, you know, athletes and strategy, it's a whole different thing. That that that's very much part of things. And um, we've had some panelists who have no strategy and no competitive fire. They just happy to be there, and so that's more something you kind of pick up in the the bio of the person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I feel it at the table. I'm not sure. I mean, probably as soon as we hang up with each other, I'll be like, ah, you know what? I did feel it. <laughs> as I think about it right now, no, I can't say that I feel it, but you do make some assumptions based on people's uh, careers and choices and what they do for a living and, and how they approach uh, other things that they're part of creatively. But yeah, I, I don't know if I always feel it. Sometimes, you know, somebody will just be like, listen, I had to make a strategic decision. That's why I'm voting you off. Nothing personal, right? So they'll just say it yeah. quite frankly. And then obviously it's quite clear that that's who they are. Yeah. I, I, I enjoy that. I enjoy like, hey, yeah, let's, let's, let's not be silly. Let's let, you know, you're, you are competing. You've, you, you know, you've accepted this as a competition and great that you say it, that this is why you, you've, I, I, I kind of like that. Yeah. Okay. Now during the actual voting procedure, are you predicting like in your head, which book will get voted off based on the prior discussion? And if so, were you right last week about any of the ones that got, you know, that were eliminated, but it's more like, or are you so focused on what you're doing that you're aware of the discussion, but you're not necessarily thinking of it from a fan standpoint? You know what I mean? Yeah, I never do any predicting. Very, con- I never want to have a um, La La Land moonlight moment, if you know what I mean <laughs> by that. When, yeah. You know, somebody's telegraphing the winner and they didn't Steve Harvey. Was that Steve Harvey? The moonlight oh, yeah. moment? I don't know you're opening the envelope, but in your mind, you're already seeing the winner and then you're, you can't, I don't know. I, I just never want to have something like that. So I sit in that moment as much as possible and let whatever happen happen. I don't even, I don't, uh, I don't want to think of next moves at all. And yeah. Yeah. As, as a, as a, you know, mediator or moderator, I think it doesn't serve me any purpose to do that. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Allie, I'm going to ask you a question about an, that brings Canada Reads together with like another sphere of your career, mm-hmm. and that is with one of your podcasts. So uh, you have a podcast with your friend, Dr. Asif Doja, which yeah. is entitled uh, Doctor versus Comedian. I was listening recently to episode 89, in which you both discussed Twitter and its relationship to comedy and medicine. And in your discussion, you ended up talking about how sometimes because of social media stuff is put out there that maybe people regret. Mm-hmm. 
And that I couldn't help it. And I thought I was listening to the episode last week during the Canada Reads competition. Well, not during the episode, but you know what I mean. And I could not help but think of the live discussion that is Canada Reads. Do you like, and sometimes stuff gets said, right? Yeah. Can you see it like in, as it's happening? You know, sometimes definitely just having done this show seven years now, I can hear some words come out of somebody's mouth and I go, ah, that might be a problem on Twitter. (laughs) I do do hear that. And sometimes I've thought that and, uh, and nothing has happened. You know, there was a year when uh, Amanda Bruegel said to Akhil Augustine, she, he was, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a debate, it's a competition. And he was, uh, you know, defending his side. And she said, Oh, mansplain much. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you remember that. And I remember thinking immediately, I'm like, oof, that's not going to go well on Twitter. And you know what? Twitter just kind of left it alone. So you don't always know. You (laughs) don't always know. That was a a strange one to leave alone. And sometimes other things are not huge issues, but they are brought to the the forefront. But yeah, you you get the feeling sometimes somebody says something and you're like, um, you never know how big it's going to be. You know, you never know how much fire it's going to take. I remember uh, Julie Black's comments, uh, you know, it was like mm-hmm. some Atlanta hip hop website had, uh, and I don't even know if they even knew who Julie Black was until that day. They had um, her and it was like a borderline meme. It wasn't quite a meme, but it was almost a meme, you know, at that point, just like a really quick clip out of context and that kind of stuff. So you never know exactly how much something is going to catch fire, but certainly at the table, I do get a feeling sometimes like, oh, this might be a problem. When it happens, I thought I thought you handled this year. Well, the all I've been following you, I think, since you started. So every time if there's been something like that, I think you've handled it beautifully. But I guess that's the thing. Are you sitting there when it happens does is there like a little bit of tension for you or do you kind of go i don't know do i touch it do i not touch it how do i move forward it's a tricky balance it's a yeah. it's a very good question rebecca and and of course as a, an astute listener you would you would ve- of course be somebody to ask me that um there's certain things that could be said and i want to i want to get in there and be like just to be clear that is not the perspective of the cbc that is mm-hmm. your perspective right and and you let that person have their opinion. Other times you say, okay, I mean, uh, that is uh, a bit of an explosive opinion you have there. Can you care to elaborate? You give them time. And other times you just uh, let it go because you're like, I don't, I mean, they, they sort of owned it. They had their moment. I think somebody else at the table might handle that. And those are the three situations that are, you know, top of mind. But then in the background, there is another, uh, there's another huge thing happening, which most people would not appreciate, which is our hard clock. And, you you know, this is the moderator's balancing act that, that nobody else really knows about. But I'm looking at a clock that ends hard. There's no extra time. There's no like, you know what, we're going to do a few more minutes today. It is when it's over, it's over. Um, And so you go, okay, so this person said those things. They are not heinous, but they're, they're going to get them in trouble. I can let them elaborate. I can say this, I can say that. 
However, we have 18 minutes. In those 18 mm-hmm. minutes, we still have to have final discussions. We have to have a final, um, you know, uh, whatever you call them, your the final defense, the 60-second things. We also have to have the voting time, and then we have to have the announcement of who, and there's a certain amount of time that you need for all these things. And you, you start thinking as a moderator, if I go back and say, by the way, I want to pick up on something you said, do you care to elaborate on that? Now that's giving um, more kind of, you know, screen time, uh, microphone time, airtime to that person. And you're like, have they had already airtime today? And will people start saying, why did that person talk so much today? And why did we go their person? Their their book wasn't even in contention. Why did we give them the platform when that would have been a great time for the two people or the three people left to talk about their books and there's all of that happening. And, and also the overarching thing is this is about books. This mm-hmm. is about books. So if you have said something that's not about the books, do I want to go back there or can I let it go? So yeah, it's, it's a real juggling act and there's a lot of sort of on the fly in the moment decision-making that has to happen. And when I'm not doing anything, you can be sure that that is also a decision that's happening right there. Yeah, that's, that's a brilliant answer because, yeah. and, and I can't even, I mean, you do it masterfully because I don't, I would be, I'd be on the floor and panic stricken. And so I will never be the host of Canada Reads, but you do a brilliant job. Thank yeah, you. that was great. Thank you, Allie. Okay. Our last question, actually, it's kind of two part, but I wondered which book from this year would you have defended if you could and, or which book would you choose for what would, book would you choose of any book for all of Canada to read? Oh, what a great question. My gosh, that is a, that is a lot of pressure. <laughs> I mean, my God. I, uh, I think technically this came from Tara, to be honest. <laughs> thanks for nothing, Tara. You're welcome, because Allie, I still don't know if I was put on the spot. I, yeah. I, I think about this constantly, and I don't know which book I would choose. Well, so, you know what? I'm putting you- it back on you. I'm actually going to circle back to something that I was originally agreeing with. Um, and now I'm like, I'm not, I'm not so sure. I'm going to go back to the idea of the theme mm. because, you know, it's like, there's a time for certain things. Like when you're coming out of a pandemic, yeah, it might be time to read a David Sedaris book. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like the mood is such that we need a laugh. We need levity. We need to remember that the things we think are important aren't that important. The things we're invested in, we could let go and we could take, you know, and there's other times where things are very serious in the world right now, like democracy is at stake in in countries and this and that. And that's why it's important to read, you know, and that's what I think Keegan would have said that about her book and its connection to climate change, like what's more Mm -hmm. important than climate change right now. And um, so it is really such a difficult decision because the book you choose, not only is a book Canada should read period, it's also a book it's, it, it is, uh, pardon me. it, It is connected to time and place and it is connected to context a little bit. There might have been a time where, you know, in, in, in the first Canada Reads 22 years ago, it was uh, Michael Ondaatje's and the Skin of a Lion one. 
And that might've been such an important book at different points in time. Whereas I wouldn't pick that book in 2023 or 2024. Right. So I'm almost dodging the question right now by mentioning. Uh, And that is because it really is such a difficult question. And it's, it's sort of like, you know, any art, you know, there's a different time in your life where different music plays a role. And uh, if you ask me who my favorite comedian was in January, it's not the same answer now in, in April, right? I, I teach students who introduce me to some new comics that I think maybe they're worth exploring and, or I find out more about the life of a st- certain comedian and they lived in their car for this much time and they did this and then, then they, I appreciate them more so. I don't know if I can answer that any easier than I can answer who my favorite child is of any given. Mm. How about if I do this? You said that you read because you'd like to have your perspective shifted. Yeah. So maybe is there something you've read recently that really shifted your perspective that you might like to mention just to give a shout out to a, a book right now? I, I, over the holidays, I, I finished Reproduction by Ian Williams. I thought that was great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I read, there's a, uh, it's upstairs. If it was here, it would be so great. But I'm going to just click Seth Acting. I, I really like this book. Uh, I have to, oh, here it is. Seth Barish. And it's a book called An Actor's Companion. And as I'm reading it, it's very, very, uh, it's very simple. It's, it doesn't seem like it's deep. And yet because of its simplicity, um, it's just great lessons and great things to remember just sort of life lessons and, and lessons as you do anything creative, um, He's uh, he's a great he's an actor's uh, you know he's a, he's a, a a coach and a mentor and a guide and uh, so Seth Barish talks about um, tools for the working actor I think that's the subtitle of this book called An Actor's Companion so I read that and uh, that's a book I was sad when it came to an end and I was like well it's not really come to an end because I will go back and read this every year it's easy to read and it's great. You know, just talking about, you know, living in the moment and how to how to create connection between human beings, how to foster, uh, you know, compelling behavior, this kind of stuff. And this is all on stage, but it's also off stage things you uh, can do. So I, I really enjoyed that. And that it's like a little bit of a shift for me. It's not fiction. It's not uh, comedy related, which is the other stuff I read so that I'm, uh, you know, connected to stand up and, and my class and all that. It was a little bit off brand. I don't usually read books about acting. The last time I did that was maybe six, seven years ago. Uh, but I found it to be a wonderful book. Well, thank you so much. And Tara, is there anything else you want to add before we go? Or No, just that this was delightful. Thank you so much, Ali, for talking to us. I always enjoy it. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on our bookish journey. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing Canada Reads American Style wherever you listen. You can connect with the podcast and Rebecca on Instagram at Canada Reads American Style and with Tara at On a Branch Reads. Until next time, keep reading.